Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA. It's a busy day in the nation's capital. The past two days, really yesterday and today, have been filled with discussions of ag committees in Congress about the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill. We're going to hear from Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report here in segment two about yesterday's hearing, which was the Senate Ag hearing, looking at the discussion around the Grassley-Tester-Fisher bill. And then in segment three, we're going to be speaking today with Arlen Suderman, of course, of Stonex, their chief commodity market economist. We're going to take a look at what is happening here in these markets. And then at the end of the show, in segment four, Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer at Stonex, is going to be joining us. It was announced earlier this week that Russia has cut off natural gas exports into Poland. What is this going to do to the natural gas market and how is that spike in natural gas prices going to filter down into the fertilizer market as we go through 2022? Josh Linville will have uh, some of those answers for us here later in the program, so stay with us. Before we get into all of that, however, if you've been driving, you've certainly noticed that fuel prices are up, 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 and a lot of states are looking for actions they can do to reduce that cost burden on their constituents. And the state of Iowa over the past couple of months has been working very hard on the biofuel access bill. It passed yesterday, both the Iowa House and the Iowa Senate. Joining me today to discuss it is Monty Shaw, the executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Monty, thanks for talking to us today. Well, glad to be here. Let's talk about this biofuel access bill. Monty, what was this bill designed to do? What are some of the components of it that it's going to help uh, promote biofuel access? Yeah, there's a, a number of things on the biodiesel side as well, but as most of your listeners probably drive gas-powered cars, I'll start there. Um, basically, there's a simple concept that all islands deserve the opportunity to choose E15 if they want to. You know, it's, it's more ethanol, it's more octane, but we're seeing it usually 15 cents, sometimes 30 cents a gallon under E10, which is already much cheaper than you know the non-ethanol blends. And so our governor said, we want to take this and make sure that every island has that opportunity. So this bill would say, hey, retailers, if you have a system that is compatible, if you have the tanks in the ground that are compatible with E15 blends, uh, starting in 2026, you're going to offer this fuel. Uh, there are also some grants and incentives for them to do this. Uh, there are waivers for retailers that do not have compatible equipment, so we're not going to, you know, put anybody out of business or anything. But basically, in the next few years, we're going to go from, you know, a few islands having the opportunity to buy E15 at the, at the current stations to basically everybody. It won't be at every station, but it'll be enough that you can find it. That is good news, Monty. I imagine some of the retailers would say, hey, we're going to be looking at upgrading some equipment over the next couple of years. Upgrades can be expensive. Is there any assistance for those retailers in order to get uh, more biofuels out there into the hands of consumers? Yes, Iowa for a number of years has had a renewable fuels infrastructure program where we give cost share grants up to $50,000 to retailers to upgrade their equipment to offer higher blends. So that is actually maintained in this bill. Uh, it's actually the cost share for small stations was increased, or I guess you could say the cost share is decreased to where they'd only have to put in 10% of the money instead of 30% for the small retailers to try to help them out a little bit more. And the funding for that was doubled from $5 million to $10 million. So I was making a significant upgrade. You know, as you can imagine, not every retailer liked this bill. We did have support from some major retailers for this bill, but some are like, oh, you know, don't tell me what to do. And yet, you know, we have branded contracts by big oil companies that say you can't sell E15. So the state can step in and say, yes, you can. And so we just really want to thank Governor Reynolds for taking leadership on this. And we're excited because we've already had a, at least two states, and I think the list will grow, reach out to us and say, hey, tell us about this bill. This could really be a model for how to get these higher blends out there uh, throughout not just Iowa, but, you know, any state that wants to follow the Iowa lead. And I think that's a great point, Monty, as you think about why action needs to happen on the state level. What was it that pushed you to encourage Iowa to get this bill done? 
Well, I mean, you know, not to be flippant, but I mean, we're number one in corn production, right? We're number, you know, number one or two in soybeans. We're number one in ethanol and biodiesel. And so uh, we've been number one in production for a long time, but we haven't necessarily been number one in policy. Um, other states, you know, tip of the hat to Minnesota and some others have, have set the tone in, in past years. And so our governor right now, Governor Reynolds, is like, there's no reason why we shouldn't be leading. We're seeing these electric vehicle mandates come in. You know, EVs are going to come, but, but you have people in California saying, let's mandate them. You have people in, you know, was it Washington or Oregon, one of those states, you know, passed a bill that said, hey, we're going to outlaw cars that run on liquid fuels. You know, you have people in D.C. trying to push this. So we really also wanted to put a stake in the ground that said there is a viable, uh, you know, renewable option going forward for liquid fuels, but we have to lead the way and show that it's there. We can't just continue to say, hey, 90% petroleum and liquid fuels is, is good enough. So, you know, we think E15 is the next step, but it's certainly not the last step. It isn't, Monty. As you think about E15, must be offered by these retailers by January 1st, 2026. Of course, they'd like to offer it year-round. We've got that emergency waiver for 2022. Monty, look out long-term. On the federal level, do you think we're going to be able to get to see legal E15 sold year-round through legislative action? You know, we're pushing that, and we're not going to stop pushing that. There's bipartisan bills in both the House and the Senate that would equalize the treatment of E15 and E10. So that, you know, right now there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, E10 is not, or excuse me, E15 is not restricted. It's not banned in the summer, but it has to meet a different, uh, you know, volatility uh, regulation than E10. So what do the oil guys do? They send to states like Iowa, the, the fuel can be blended with 10% ethanol and meet the, the, the volatility standard for 10% ethanol. But that same fuel cannot be blended with E15. Do they send us the fuel that can be blended with E15? Of course not. Why would they make it easier for us to sell more of our product and less of theirs? Now, I actually think the first thing you're going to see in, in probably in a matter of days is I think you're going to see Midwestern governors step up and exercise their authority under the Clean Air Act to disallow the one-pound waiver for E10 in these states. Because the bottom line is, as long as E10 and E15 are regulated the same, whatever fuel the, re, the refiners send to, to those states will be able to be blended to, to either E10 or E15. It's when there's different regulations that they gain the system. We'd love to have a nationwide solution, but, you know, the oil guys have a lot of clout in Congress, even when the Democrats are in control. And so that has been stymied, and I just don't see it moving forward in the short term. I hope I'm wrong. We're going to push. I mean, clearly with gas prices up, there's an opportunity there. But in the meantime, once again, at the state level, governors can lead. And I think we're going to see uh, a block bigger than California in terms of fuel use um, move forward and equalize those regulations in their states. That doesn't solve it for every state. But in those states, you're going to be able to have year-round E15. Monty, for listeners outside of Iowa tuning in right now who are curious about the biofuels access bill, where can they go for more information and to see what they could pull in to use it in their state? Yeah, on our website, we have some press releases and some fact sheets. It's uh, iowarfa.org. Um, there's ways to contact us there if you want more information. Um, it's it, You can look it up on the Internet, too, and, and get the actual bill language, which is Senate file. 2128, excuse me, House file, sorry, House file 2128 in the Iowa legislature. And if they really want to go all in, but, you know, we're happy to share this because we're proud of it and we think it's a good model for other states to follow. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. We've been talking to Monty Shaw, the executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Monty, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Thank you. And stick with us. Jerry Hagstrom will join us after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Tough 5 ec is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5 ec works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, almer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5 ec is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 ec or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. 
That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Less isn't always more. Take managing a fleet, for instance. You need a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. And that's exactly what you get with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Roadmaster XL even adds more life to your fuel system's injectors and injector pumps. That's a lot more than we can say about typical number two diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for taking the time to join us here on this Wednesday. Today in the House of Representatives, in front of the House Ag Committee, the four CEOs of the largest meat packers are testifying as conversations in Washington heat up about fairness in the cattle and beef markets. Today's hearing is a kind of a continuation of yesterday's hearing on the Senate Ag Committee side. And uh, yesterday's hearing was, uh, was as, as I mentioned, on the Senate side discussing the planned bill, Senate Bill 4030, the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Bill from Senator Grassley, Senator Fisher, and Senator Tester. And uh, these conversations are heating up in Washington. One person who has been very tuned in to these conversations developing in D.C. is Jerry Hagstrom, author of The Hagstrom Report, and he joins us today. Jerry, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, good morning. I, uh, I did watch the hearing yesterday for more than three hours, uh, and I am interrupting my watching the hearing in the House side today, uh, which, has, uh, which has just started, uh, and which the CEOs of the big four companies are expected to testify. Uh, uh, Senator, or Congressman Thompson, the ranking member on House Ag, said they're testifying because uh, Chairman uh, Scott uh, threatened them with subpoenas if they did not. So it is a really hot moment in agriculture in Washington. It is a hot moment, and this is a, a moment that's been building for some time. Jerry, there's not a lot of undecideds on this issue. As you were watching the, the hearing yesterday in the Senate Ag Committee, what were the, the battle lines on the committee? Could you tell that any of the members were explicitly in support of this bill and any that were explicitly opposed to it from the get-go? Oh, yes, you can definitely tell that there are members who are strongly opposed and strongly in favor of it. Now, Senator Grassley, who is the leader behind all of this and has been for the past 20 years, uh, and who complains about the concentration and says the farmers are not, or ranchers are not getting a fair shake, 
says 11 members of the House of the Senate Ag Committee have endorsed this bill. That's half the that's half the membership, but others are uh, very much opposed, including Senator Bozeman from Arkansas, who is the uh, the highest ranking Republican on the committee. So it's it's really a tense situation. Grassley said he was grateful to uh, Stabenow, the chairwoman, and to uh, Bozeman for holding the hearing. Uh, but I still wonder how they can proceed with this with so uh, with so much division. Uh, and part of that division, of course, is from cattle producers themselves. They're divided about what impact it would have, largely along regional lines. Particularly, the ones from the northern plains are in favor of uh, more government intervention in the market, uh, while others are not. Um, but it's a very messy, uh, messy situation with people all over the place uh, who are uh, both advocates and opponents of the bill. And anytime, of course, we're discussing something that impacts people's living, these emotions can become passionate. Jerry, yesterday, let's look at the supporters' arguments. What were some of the, the facts they brought to bear on the argument to encourage the Senate to get this bill passed? Well, the, 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 uh, the ranchers who want this intervention say that the cash markets have become so thin uh, that there are few buyers, and therefore they, they, they don't have people competing to buy their cattle, and therefore they have pretty much have to take the price that's offered, and that price is often low. So that, that, is, the, uh, that is their main uh, uh, issue, and they, this bill would set up some kind of regional um, the divisions among the country, and there would have to be a certain amount of cash sales within each region. Uh, the Agriculture Department would be in charge of setting this up, and of course they'd have to engage in rulemaking. Uh, it does sound like a very complicated um, uh, idea. It does, and I understand yesterday there were a couple of experts sort of presenting on the broad economic impact. We heard from Andy Green and Bruce Summers, both involved with the USDA. What arguments did they bring to the table? Does USDA have a position on this bill? Uh, yes, USDA does have a position on the bill. Uh, Andy Green is the special advisor to the secretary on uh, on competition. And, of course, this is part of a broader Biden administration concern about competition in, uh, in other industries. And Senator Mike Braun of Indiana brought up that he's very, also very concerned about competition in the health care industry. So this is part of a larger, a larger issue. Uh, Bruce Summers, the head of the, of the Agriculture Marketing Service, said that they would um, go about rulemaking in order to make this uh, proposal work, uh, assuming that, that, uh, that Congress passes it. But I must note that Senator uh, Bozeman complained that he wanted the, someone from the Office of the Chief Economist to testify about this, and the administration declined to put forward a real economist. The people who testified were not economists. Okay. All right. Good to know. We'll continue to watch for more updates from uh, the administration on that. As you think about the opposition side, uh, Jerry, what arguments were they bringing to the table? Is it mainly concerns about increased cost? Uh, well, I w uh, no, I wouldn't say that's the, that was the major issue. The major issue is that there is something called alternative marketing arrangements under which the beef producers uh, establish relationships with, with packing companies in which they guarantee a certain quality of beef. And this comes from both the uh, improved genetics that they have, uh, you might say, purchased, uh, and, and also the, the, the ways in which these cattle are raised. And the, these ranchers, uh, and one testified yesterday, say that if, um, that, that if you put in these cash price uh, requirements, that these arrangements would be uh, would be troubled, and, they, and and perhaps the companies would cancel them. Now, the advocates for the bill say, no, 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 that's not true. You would still you could still engage in alternative marketing arrangements. So it really seems to depend on which kind of market the uh, the different ranchers prefer. Interesting. I, I've heard some comments from one of the Democratic members of the Senate Ag Committee, and that's Cory Booker. And I believe he's the only one who believes this bill doesn't go far enough in reining in uh, the, the packer power here in the beef space. Did Senator Booker have any comments yesterday during the hearing? Oh, yes. 
Senator Booker is a big critic of concentration in all industries, but particularly in agriculture, and he said he'd like to work to, to strengthen the bill. Now, I would say that Senator Grassley in the early stages also wanted uh, perhaps a more interventionist bill, but he and Senator Fisher reached a, co uh, reached a compromise uh, for the bill that they now have, and they're very proud of their uh, all 11 members on the committee endorsing it, and, and Senator Grassley said he has 19 co-sponsors uh, all together in the Senate, which is a lot, but remember, there's still 100 senators. That is true. Jerry, as you think about the next steps on the Senate side for Senate Bill 4030, what happens next? Should we expect additional hearings? Could there be a full Senate vote scheduled? What do you anticipate? Well, I don't think there'll be any more hearings. I, uh, we've got the hearing on the House side today, where, by the way, we don't have any legislation on the House side. We're just having a general hearing talking about the issue. But on the Senate side, the first thing that would have to happen would be a committee markup. Uh, in which presumably there would be enough votes to pass this bill. And there's also another one setting up a special investigator in the Agriculture Department uh, who would be working on these meatpacking issues. Uh, and then you would face the question of getting to the Senate floor. Now, under the current um, uh, leadership, the Democrats, it's possible it would come up whether they could get in 60 votes, if, uh, you know, which they would need under Senate rules to pass this, I don't know. Uh, I think that if the bill just drags out and you move into the next, uh, 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 the, the next year, if the Republicans take over, I doubt that they would bring it up. Okay. On the House side, as you're thinking about that concurrent legislation needed to get this thing through, do you think today's hearing might spur some House members to start writing a bill? Oh, I think so. I wouldn't say that they're not writing it. We just don't have a kind of formal proposal, and we're not having a hearing on actual uh, legislation. So, yes, I think you definitely have people on the House side uh, who are interested in this. And, of course, one thing about this is that it does cross party lines. You know, Senator Grassley is a very strong Republican. Senator Tester is a very strong Democrat. So uh, it isn't, uh, it, it, this is not on a partisan basis, it's more on a regional basis and also about people's views on how government uh, should play a role in the economy. The Republicans are saying is what we need is less regulation. That's why we've got so much concentration. And the Democrats, of course, say, well, uh, we probably need more regulation. This battle will continue. Jerry, we'll let you get back to the hearing happening on the House side. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to your listeners. Folks, that's Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report. Stay with us here on AOA. Arlen Suderman of Stonex will be joining us when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. One of the higher risk aspects of farming is crop protection application. With label changes, regulations, equipment maintenance, and drift management, it's a lot of risk. And a great way to manage it is to rely on your local FS and FS crop applicators. They constantly train to keep up with the latest label changes, regulations, and best practices. So your crop is protected and risks reduced. Contact your local FS to learn more about our custom application programs. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at the markets, soybeans and bean oil remain higher here this morning as Indonesia reversed course once again today, broadening its ban on cooking oil exports to include crude palm oil, which was the original declaration late last week. It had pulled back from that statement on Monday saying that crude palm oil would be allowed to be exported 
However, its statement released today ahead of the ban starting tomorrow does include crude palm oil. In fact, Indonesia activated its navy to enforce the ban to prevent any export shipments of crude palm oil, refined palm oil, and used cooking oil, among other palm products. The move dramatically tightens an already tight global supply of edible oils that saw global prices surge when the Russian invasion of Ukraine took Ukrainian sunflower oil supplies off the market. Both canola and soy oil prices pushed to New record high levels this morning as a result of these developments. We also saw palm oil push sharply higher as well here this morning. Corn market is relatively firm. While the wheat market, winter wheat showing some sell-off, maybe a little profit-taking here this morning so far with mixed action in livestock. Right now we see crude oil down $1.42 a barrel, $128. May corn four higher, $8.07 at a quarter. December up three and a half, seven forty-seven. May beans up six, seventeen eleven at a quarter. November beans up nine and a half, fifteen twelve at a quarter. May bean meal down three twenty a ton at four forty one sixty. May bean oil up one hundred eighty six points, eighty seven fifteen. May Chicago wheat down ten at three quarters, ten seventy two and a half. May Kansas City wheat down thirteen at three quarters, eleven forty four. May spring wheat down two at three quarters, eleven eighty three and a half. April live cattle unchanged, one forty even. April feeder cattle up thirty five, one fifty six fifty five. May hogs down 57, 104.62. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to tune in here to AOA. Next up on the show, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back with you, Mike. You know, it's always great when we can start these discussions looking at record high price levels. Arlen, we've got that today in the soybean oil market. July soybean oil at 84 bucks and change currently almost $20 higher than the past market peak in 2008. Arlen, what's going on in soybean oil? Indonesia. Well, it really goes back beyond that when we were really starting to tighten up global vegetable oil supplies over the last few years. We're seeing more and more countries increase their blending requirements for biodiesel. And, of course, the edible oils all contribute to the production of that biodiesel, depending on which country you're in and what's the product, what's the most economical product available. Uh, and so we were increasing demand faster in supply. So supplies as a percent of energy usage was really at uh, – uh, near record lows prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But when that happened, that shut off half of the world's sunflower oil exports. And actually a little bit more than that because some of Russia's exports got shut off as well. That dramatically tightened up world supplies. And like many of the other food-based commodities, Indonesia is facing food inflation because of the tightness of the supplies of these commodities. And the one commodity that is that consumers are complaining the most about in Indonesia is cooking oil prices. And so the popularity of the president there was really going down fast over this. So he just said, we're going to ban 
all exports of cooking oil and the products that go into producing that cooking oil. I said that late last week. Well, then the, the producers of uh, the palm oil apparently got to them over the weekend, talked to them, and he said, well, we're not going to ban the export of crude palm oil. Um, but just the other products that are made from it. And so that eased the concerns a little bit. And then today it came out again, and this ban goes into effect tomorrow. And today, this morning, came out again and said, nope, the official paperwork came out and said crude palm oil is included in that as well. We don't think that it will be able to keep this ban into place for very long um, because the supplies are going to build up so fast they simply don't have the storage facilities to really handle it all. So we think in within a matter of weeks we'll probably see some type of an adjustment that allows for some exports, but this allows them time to kind of restrict it. And this is just one of many food-based commodities being hoarded by various countries around the world trying to minimize social unrest within their countries as we look at record high food prices around the world. And anytime we're dealing with record high prices and incredibly tight supplies, of course, the next supply source to come online gets the buyer. Arlen, let's look down at South America. Argentina, one of the world's largest exporters of soy products, of course, coming off their harvest. How is their processing and export ability looking in that soy oil space? Well, they got plenty of capacity. Their biggest problem is their government can't stay out of its own way. Um, they could really be a major agricultural force in the world, but uh, their government has become so socialistic that they've really hampered the development of agriculture there as a major revenue source of their economy. Um, but they have plenty of capacity for crushing soybeans and exporting soy oil and soy meal. And even with all the unused capacity, they're still the world's largest exporter of soy oil and soy meal. Their problems have been primarily in recent years successive droughts because we're going into our third year in a row, La Nina, and La Nina weather patterns do not favor Argentina at all, and that's a big problem for them. We're looking at short crops again this year, although probably not as short as last year. They've had some timely rains that have helped them get by, um, so it does look like they're going to have um, some, uh, shall we say, decent crops, but smaller, the below-trend yields overall for corn and soybeans. Looks like they may get some frost damage for their late double-crop soybeans next week. That could be a problem, further reducing oil content from some of those soybeans, particularly in southern areas of the country, around Buenos Aires, etc. But that's a concern going forward, just further tightens the supply once again. They've also had some problems the last couple of years because that drought has extended up into southern Brazil and has really focused on the, the main watershed of the primary river that feeds uh, the flow out of Argentina where ships go up to the ports and stuff. And so they've had to really cut down on the draft of those ships reducing their exports per ship that they could do many times over the last couple of years. Um, but overall, if they, get the, if they get the rains to start coming again, they can be a major force. Arlen, as you look at this record price and think about domestic soybean crush, it has been running at an elevated level for at least the last 12 months. Given now we've got record prices for bean oil, do you anticipate domestic crushers to run even harder? And if so, could that help break the price some more on the bean meal side and give our livestock producing friends potentially a, a little bit of a feed cost break? Yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. So as soybean prices go up, that tends to lift both meal and oil. But relatively speaking, we anticipate seeing more strength in oil relative to meal from that standpoint because the true demand is building for oil at a faster pace than meal. So we're moving toward crushing for oil. Not quite there yet, but we're moving in that direction. And, and that's largely due to the emphasis on producing these new renewable diesels which can be put into engines at 100%. They don't have to be. They can be blended with diesel or put in at 100% or some blend in between, as well as the development of the sustainable aviation fuels for the future. Now, the question is, is whether the politics will support continued movement of these oils toward fuel, the food for fuel debate is going to really heat up. It's particularly heating up in Europe right now 
We're seeing Europe uh, move away from supporting the biofuels. We have not seen that in the United States yet. We've seen it in some other countries as well. That could start reducing the demand for the oils, uh, trying to save it for food rather than for fuel. So that's a dynamic we're going to have to watch closely here over the next 6 to 12 months to see. It's not just federal support. Much of the renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel, particularly renewable diesel, is supported by state mandates. So we'd have to see a reversal of both federal and state mandates to see that support wane. But as food prices go up, that certainly may happen. Arlen, looking over at the grain markets, interesting situation in the trade today in the wheat market, SRW, HRW down today, spring wheat moving higher, getting close to that $12 mark. Is that a market that's worried about pulling in enough acreage? Uh, it is, and with the planting delays we see in the northern plains and not really a break in sight, that's what I'm most concerned about. I'm still expecting we'll get the corn crop planted, but I think that spring wheat, it may be more vulnerable to switches to some of the other alternative crops available in the area. Um, but it's also interesting to note that the w winter wheat crops are coming well off of their lows this morning as well and may move into positive territory before the day is out. What's the story that changed here in the wheat market, Arlen? Oh, overall, I think the big concern is, again, shortages. Ukraine's out of the mix. We were already tight in milling wheat around the world. Take Ukraine out of the mix, and then you have a big problem with the Plains winter wheat crop with some of the poorest ratings for the hard red winter wheat crop on record, uh, and the drought expected to continue to intensify in the Plains in the weeks ahead as the crop moves through the critical heading stage, and then the planting delays in the spring wheat crop, so further tightening the global supply. Arlen, as you think about managed money and money flows here in the commodity sector, wheat has been a favorite of those hedge funds looking to manage some of that risk due to the exposure of the Russia-Ukraine thing and inflation and all of that. On the commitment of traders data, are we still seeing that managed money move into wheat specifically? We are, but I think corn is becoming increasingly favored. It's almost taking a, a favored status a little bit more than even wheat. Wheat is grown in many places around the world, and I think it's a little easier for fund managers to understand uh, what's happening with corn because you have fewer export major exporters there to deal with. It's a little easier to keep focus on, and those supplies are getting tight. And the corn market, old crop moving higher today, mid-18s right now here as we're looking at the, at the market. What's happening here? Export demand expected to stay strong? Yeah, we're looking at testing those uh, contract highs there now. Um, and it's steady export demand. It's been strong and steady. Um, feed demand is solid. Ethanol demand to this point has been solid. Uh, but it's more concerns about the shrinking acreage, loss, lock of, loss of Ukraine, and the dryness as uh, Brazil safrina crop is going through the pollination and early grain fill stage there, the drought expanding, the monsoon ending early. And looking at the Brazil corn crop, Arlen, I know you're going to be running your Stonex survey of growers down there in early May. Are you anticipating further declines in that Brazilian crop? Yeah, don't misinterpret my comments. I have not seen the numbers at this point, but they are pulling data right now. And my expectation is that we will see at least a modest reduction in the size of the Brazil corn crop. Do you think ethanol demand is going to stay strong here in the short term with elevated fuel prices? I do. I think there are some concerns that we could see some more escalation of gasoline prices as refiners see more money in producing diesel and heating oil than they do in gasoline. They may tighten up supplies, and that may reduce some demand for ethanol for blending in the months ahead. Lots of stories to continue developing here in our ag commodity markets. Always appreciate Arlen Suderman's insight. Arlen, thanks for joining us here on the show today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to be talking to Arlen's co-worker there at StoneX, Josh Linville, will be joining us to discuss fertilizer here in segment four. So stick around. We'll have more to come on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, 
you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron diesel engine oils, oil that runs smart. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. I guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Tough 5EC is a selective contact post-emergent herbicide that synergizes HPPD inhibitors and enhances the effect of atrazine. Tough 5EC works fast and can significantly improve the control of weeds such as water hemp, palmer, and kochia today and help prevent the selection of herbicide resistance tomorrow. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Globally, the international energy industry remains highly volatile, and it was made even more volatile earlier this week as Russia announced they have cut off natural gas flows to the countries of Poland and Bulgaria there in Eastern Europe. Those countries said they will not pay for gas in rubles, which is what Vladimir Putin has uh, demanded, and... Gazprom shut them off earlier today. That has caused an escalation in European natural gas prices, and generally it's added more uncertainty to the market. And that uncertainty flows through the value chain. Of course, one of those things natural gas is used for nitrogen production. Joining me for this segment to discuss the fertilizer market is Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer there at Stonex. Josh, thanks for talking to us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, sir. This shut off in Europe, Poland, Bulgaria, Russia shut their gas off. What does it mean for fertilizer prices? Does it mean much right now? Not especially. Um, if you look at it, neither nation is like a huge producer of nitrogen a little bit there, but nothing that's going to be a game changer. But what it does do is it's frightened the natural gas market across Europe. It's caused prices to rise, which, of course, is going to raise the cost of production for the rest of Europe. Um, so that's been something we've been watching fairly closely, and really it's one of those second-tier, third-tier effects we're kind of watching for. Is this just the first salvo? Are we going to see similar moves made against other countries that may be producing even more nitrogen than those two do? It's going to be very interesting to see the next uh, step or two. And you mentioned this particular issue was two or three on the list of importance. Josh, what's number one on the issues you're tracking right now for the fertilizer market? Right now, it still comes down to, you know, we've got spring season right in front of us. Right now, it's still very much we're trying to figure out what is the demand, what are the corn acres, what are the wheat, beans, everything like that, and then what have farmers truly done. It's been a little bit of a slower spring here uh, across the U.S., across North America, and that's caused its own issues, and we've started to see a little bit of weakness in markets like the urea. However, that also means that the other part of this effect is that we've got demand that's been growing and growing and growing. It's not that it's gone away completely. It's just we're all dragging our feet in hopes of better days. When that demand breaks, uh, when that dam breaks, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how the market reacts to it. It will. And as you've seen sort of this slowdown in, in application here domestically, is that bringing prices? You mentioned urea is coming down. What are you seeing on the UAN front, Josh? Well, unfortunately, on the UAN front, we are not seeing any sort of a change there. Uh, with this countervailing anti-dumping duty case still ongoing, it is still causing imports to basically cease to exist. Uh, that is meaning tighter than normal supplies. That is putting the U.S. North America producer in charge of it. And today, they don't see a reason why they need to drop pricing. So UAN markets are relatively unchanged. Now, with the UAN markets running as hot as they are and with imports cut off, Josh, are these price levels high enough to encourage domestic UAN manufacturers to ramp up production? Well, we've already been seeing that. So one of the things we started this fertilizer year, which starts July 1st, is we had North America UAN production maxed out. And these new nitrogen facilities have the ability to produce a little more UAN or a little more urea at the expense of the other one. And given the way the market was set up, tighter than normal UAN supplies, plus this countervailing anti-dumping duty case, we believe that U.S. producers would be ramping up their UAN production. Uh, some of the numbers that have come out during this fertilizer year have backed that point of view. But that does mean at this point there's probably not much more room there to produce any more than what they're already doing. All right. Over on the NH3 front, I know it's been wet. I know it's been cold, but some producers have been able to get in, pull some gas through the fields. Josh, what are you hearing on availability and price for anhydrous? So far, we've not seen anything as far as price uh, pricing dropping. Uh, that's not to say there isn't a one-off deal every once in a while, but for the most part, that market has largely held. Um, and to your point, we've seen some areas that have gone, uh, getting a little bit of stuff done, but Ultimately, it still feels as though this spring is a little bit lackluster from what we'd originally forecast. All right, which you'd expect given the, the slow rainy start to the year I'd imagine so far. I do want to turn to some of the other topics here. Phosphates, Josh, what are you seeing on the phosphate front given that uh, you know Russia still has so many? Yeah, and that's the thing. Right now, we have not seen a major shift in the Russian export. Uh, I believe they are willing to export, but again, it goes back to the whole, you know, you need to pay in rubles and 
the counterparty, the other country business can't be afraid of losing uh, access to the rest of the world because of these new sanctions that they're talking about. So that's something we're watching fairly closely. And in that the Chinese government is still restricting exports of phosphate as well. You put those two countries together, and they add up to 44 45% of the global phosphate export total. So as long as those two parties are out, the global phosphate market is still fairly tightly supplied, and that's going to be bullish. Josh, your contacts in China, do they think that this uh, phosphate market is going to be restricted in exports for the foreseeable future, or could a change come there in China? It, it could always change, right? That's the one thing about the markets. Uh, the only constant is change. Uh, right now, though, I would say when the Chinese government put these uh, export bans in place last fall, it was done so because world supplies were very tight and world or prices were very high. And by restricting those uh, exports, they kept the domestic price down and they kept their enough product on hand for their own farmers. The problem is if you look at the market today versus last fall, it's actually a much tighter supply situation. It's actually a much higher price situation. So while I do expect that we'll see the Chinese government allow exports, I don't think it's going to be the free-for-all a lot had been hoping for. I, I think it's going to be something like we had seen with the, the Russian government. They're going to sit there and say that we can export this many tons, and when we hit that level, we will decide what you can or cannot do going forward. Josh, real quick, before we let you go, potash. Do you anticipate a drop in potash values? Not holding my breath on, unfortunately. Trust me, I, for every farmer out there, I'd love to see it uh, you know, get cut in half or more. But the problem is, again, we put our sights back on Belarus and Russia. Those two countries combined for about 42% of the global potash export total. Belarus is, with uh, being cut off from waterways because of their actions with this Ukrainian invasion, they're basically cut off. Russia's struggling as well. So you cut out 40 plus percent of the global export total, that keeps it very, very tightly supplied. It does. Tight supplies, the name of the game in the fertilizer market. Our thanks to Josh Linville, Director of Fertilizer with Stonex. Josh, thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, sir. And folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We're going to talk policy with Jackie Fatka from Farm Progress and Brian Ernest, lead protein animal researcher with Kobank, will be on as well. We'll see you then, folks. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.